All right. Well, hello, everybody. This is Kirk Cabana, and welcome to this week's episode of Pursuit for Purpose. At first, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for everybody for being here. Thank you for sharing an ounce of your time with me, and thank you for helping me grow as a person. Pursuit for Purpose is nothing without the community of people seeking the growth that they know lives within them and bringing it to the surface so that you can help make a positive change in your life and the life of others. Thank you to everybody that is here listening live today, and even those of you that are going to be listening to the recording. This week, we're going to be discussing culture building and character development. For those of you that do not know, Pursuit for Purpose brings the world's most passionate athletes and coaches together in this community environment, just like this, to encourage our goals and aspirations. By helping provide the teachings and the principles of the greatest minds before us, the people around us will receive the foundations to build the rest of their lives and become champions of character. This week, we're joined by Robbie Britt, the head coach of the baseball program at University of Charleston, West Virginia, an amazing Division II university that is quickly becoming a desired destination for young men to grow as people on and off the field while using baseball as the vehicle to get there. Coach Britt is an alumni of Maryville College, where he, after playing, he coached and was a director of baseball operations. He also rose through the ranks at Division I Middle Tennessee State, starting as the director of player operations, moving to assistant coach, then even serving as the team's interim head coach. He now brings all of this experience and vision to the University of Charleston, West Virginia, to bring to life a purpose that is bigger than baseball. Under his leadership, the Golden Eagles were the 2021 MEC season champs, the 2021 NCAA D2 Atlantic Regional host, have had five straight semesters of over a 3.0 GPA, and they've served over a thousand hours in the community every year. Please welcome me and joining Robbie Britt. Robbie, thank you so much for being here. Kirk, I, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. That's a, a really kind introduction. So um, I'm just glad to be here and, and look forward to sharing some time with you. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. And, and, and I definitely see this as a unique honor, um, especially because uh, I, I just look up to so many coaches in the baseball community, especially people that I feel like are doing things the right way. And then you're somebody that I'm just really excited to get to learn from, because I, I think that regardless of our age, we can always be leaders in, in a field that we choose to give ourselves to. And I think that you've just given yourself to wanting to, to help people grow uh, you more as people than even as baseball players and baseball kind of just gets to be the byproduct of everything that we do. So again, I'm very thankful for your time today and, and sharing some time with anybody that will allow their heart to be opened and, and their minds to be open for what we might have to share today. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking forward to it. So, Coach Britt, you know, please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you've gotten to this point where you are making your biggest impact yet into the lives of student athletes and even the community, uh, you know, that you get to grow them in. Yeah, absolutely. So, as, as you mentioned, you know, I'm from Maryville, Tennessee, which is in East Tennessee, right outside of Knoxville. Uh, I was a D3 player and coach and then, you know, went to Middle Tennessee from there. Uh, and then I actually spent a year in teaching high school history at Rossview High School, which is an unbelievable high school in Clarksville, Tennessee. And honestly, that that year was was transformational for me as as really a leader and as an individual and um, kind of changed my perspective on what my role was in the lives of others. And uh, after that year, I was fortunate enough to 
get the job at Charleston. And now we're year three on the job. We've battled through a, a pandemic together as a university and as an athletic department. And uh, obviously you mentioned some of the successes that we had last year, but um, really I, I look at uh, each of my experiences, specifically probably Rossview and my year there in the history classroom as being sort of transformative uh, and uh, really kind of creating the, the person or the leader that I am today. That's awesome. And, and I think that it's very cool that you got to have that unique perspective of, of going back um, and teaching high school. And, uh, and as I've heard you say before, um, getting to be the, the head coach of your classroom. Uh, tell me a little bit more about, about that mentality of, of, of still being a head coach regardless of whether or not you were on the baseball field. Yeah, well, it, it's always bothered me, that, and, and I'm sure maybe people on this call have said this before, but it always bothers me when people say, like, I'm a teacher just so I can coach. Um, you know, I teach history just so I can coach football or baseball. Because my, from my perspective, like, what you do on the football field or the baseball field, well, that's teaching. Your content area is just baseball or football or whatever it might be. So – when I got into the classroom, you know, I kind of had a decision to make. It's like I can either be salty about uh, no longer being in college baseball or I can sort of leverage my skill set and make this my team. And so I had 156 students and I was responsible for teaching life skills and character traits through the platform of U.S. history for 45 minutes every day. And what I learned was that many times those kids, I might be the, the the only positive energy that they receive for that 45 minutes every single day. They don't get it when they go home. They don't get it when they're around their friends, especially with the, the onset and the further development of social media. I mean, you know, we are, we are all so stressed all the time because of the, the external stressors in our life. My thought was, if I can just be uplifting, if I can just be motivational and inspirational and get kids excited about something that probably some of them don't really care about being U.S. history, then, you know, we can, we can sort of change some lives and, and um, make it a, a highlight of their day. And so, you know, I think that's what we try to do at UC now is, you know, I'm teaching life skills and character traits through the platform of, of college baseball. And, you know, fortunate to do that because like today I got to go outside at two in the afternoon and be out there till 530 and got to spend some time with, some of my really good friends that are on my coaching staff, as well as, you know, uh, 48 to 50 guys that, that I really love and care about. So, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm blessed to get to do what I do every day, uh, but that wouldn't, that wouldn't be any different if I was in a classroom uh, teaching history or obviously at the baseball field here, teaching uh, baseball at Charleston. So just really fortunate, but I think it's just your mentality that you bring to whatever it is that you do. You know, if you're a, you're an artist like be the best artist that you can be i think it was martin luther king said if you're a street sweeper you know street the, uh, sweep the streets like michelangelo painted the sistine chapel so it's really just about sort of making it your masterpiece whatever it is that you're called to do i i love that i love that simple statement of teaching life skills and character traits to the platform of baseball i think that's really powerful because it is a part of the bigger picture it's almost you know as if that baseball is the byproduct of what we get to 
of what we get to do and how we get to serve. And regardless whether or not it's history, it's chemistry, it's English, or it's baseball, football, soccer, whatever the platform is, it's your masterpiece that you get a chance to give yourself to. And, uh, and I do believe that you're right on the money with giving yourself that because I believe that attitude is infectious because we have no idea where these people are coming from whether or not it was first period, second period, third period, or a whole day of school before they get into our care. And it's, and it's us that can be something that either changes the tide of their day or, you know, aids in it and not going the way that they thought. So I think that's really a powerful perspective that you're taking on that coach. Absolutely. And I know like coach Corbin, who's sort of a mentor, I know to so many, but, but especially in my professional life at Vanderbilt, he talks about being a positive life force and I just felt like, you know, at Rossview specifically, and you know, we'd start class at 735 in the morning. Well, you know, I remember being 16 years old, 17 years old. The last thing I wanted to do was listen to Mr. Britt teach history at 735 in the morning. So it was, you know, how can we sort of change the attitude towards the traditional classroom, whether that was our Monday motivation that we did as our, our bell ringer or what we called our buy-in. Uh, every day, just kind of ter- changing the terminology of the classroom. So instead of like a an exit ticket, we called it a cash out. Um, you know, like I said, instead of a bell ringer, we called it a buy in. Like uh, we had points, we made it competitive inside of the classroom, and and really just kind of there was music always playing. I'm a huge music guy, so Spotify was always playing uh, when kids entered the classroom, and I just felt like that was you know a way that we could sort of change the dynamic and change the attitudes or the culture, if you want to say that. Um, of the traditional high school classroom. So same thing. If you come watch us train at Charleston, some people would probably say it's like fireworks going off because, I mean, we have music when you enter practice and I've got the wireless mic out on the field sometimes. And, you know, I'm calling people out that are 120 yards away that don't even know that I'm watching. And, you know, I think like, again, it's just sort of changing the, the, uh, the environment that kids are probably used to. You know, it's not just the old, hitting fungos and shagging BP, like, uh, you know, we are very intentional in the type of environment we create. I think that leads to intentional student athletes in everything that they do. So that's just kind of the mentality that we've taken both at Rossview and then now at UC. I love it. And and as you change the environment, you grow to change the expectations. So I think that that is something that is uh, very interesting and you, and you get these kids intrigued and and bought in that much more for what you're asking them to do because you're creating something that you know they've never been a part of and yet when then they start having fun within that environment it becomes a craving almost so uh, i wanted to ask what what does it mean to you to have the chance to be the leader that helps build a culture of an organization oh um boy that's a great question i I think it's uh, it's it's a calling if you want to say that a purpose um you know, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of, it's very humbling to, to be in that position. And again, I, I go back to many of the leaders that I've been fortunate to work with or, or work for, um, you know, even from an er- the earliest age, like my dad is uh, a huge role model in my life. So he worked his way from being a classroom teacher to an assistant principal. And then he was a head middle school principal for 10 years. And then he, he, he's retiring in June, but he's been a superintendent of our school system back home for I think 12 or 13 years now. So, you know, a lot of our dinner conversations growing up were about leadership and how do you build effective cultures? How do you build high performing teams? Uh, How do you 
you know, become the best version of yourself, how we define that as excellence in our program. And so like, even from the earliest age, I would just say that the, the people that I've always sort of um, tied myself to are people that are leaders and that are responsible for creating that environment. And so now to have the opportunity to do that, you know, with my wife, Courtney, and our two kids, Ellie and Camp, you know, we, we look at it as we are creating that environment for the, the 50 student athletes that we have, as well as the, the nine staff members that I have. So um, it, it's humbling, but at the same time, it, it's an extreme, uh, it, I would say an extreme responsibility that we, that we have as a family. And, you know, we take pride in that responsibility. And every day when my feet hit the floor at 5 a.m., like I'm on fire for that because um, that's what we've been preparing for as a family since, since we started this journey uh, eight, nine years ago. You know, we've been preparing to lead an organization like this. And, and the main purpose being uh, we want to create an environment where people can be the best version of themselves. So I'd say humbling and, and a great sense of responsibility. That's beautiful, coach. That's beautiful. And, and you, you know, you talked about your, your family life growing up, being around like some leadership mentality and, and a lot of dinner table conversations about that kind of stuff. When did you know that you could help make a positive difference in the lives of your players by helping them develop their character? Um, well, my, my, my dad always tells a story about how when I was 10 years old, I thought I could coach the Tennessee balls. You know, we'd listen to like sports radio on the way home and, you know, we'd be like everybody else complaining about the, the, the UT football team. And, um, you know, I'd used to say like, Oh, I could get this thing figured out. So um, obviously as a 10 year old, I didn't really know what I was talking about, but I, I remember being in a 12 year old in seventh grade geography and Robin Hinton, who was my B team basketball coach, um, was this just unbelievable spirit of a man. You know, he, uh, sort of had a, a, a big belly, wore a shirt and tie every day, drank Fresca and ate Mentos in class. I don't even know if they make Fresca anymore, but I just vividly remember him every day we would go into his class. He would say, thank you for being here today. And the part that I didn't know at the time was that he had had some personal trauma in his life that, that was the reason why he created that type of environment. And so I always, again, looked up to a number of people, but he was kind of that, uh, he was a huge figure in my life at that time, especially because I loved playing for him on the basketball team in middle school. Um, and he really inspired me to continue to proceed and pursue uh, coaching or teaching if that was something that I wanted to do. So whether it was him, my high school baseball coach, Clark Wormsley, was, was incredible. Uh, and then I would say the people that I had a chance to work for, you know, Cody Church at Maryville College, uh, Jim McGuire at Middle Tennessee, who's now at Ball State Community College. Like Mags is one of the classiest guys in, in college baseball and taught me how to really run a program not the baseball side of it, but I'm talking about the administrative and how to deal with donors, how to deal with alums, how to almost navigate the political landscape that comes with being a head coach. You know, he was responsible for that. So a number of leaders, um, but I would say, you know, my earliest memories would be like 12 years old when I was around Robin Hinton, just the, the classroom that he created. That was something that um, really lit my fire and encouraged me to pursue that road. If, if he said, if that's something you want to do, you know, you'd be great at it. And, and I will say this, when you put those words into a middle school kid's head and you tell them, Hey, you know, 
you got a shot at this thing. You can do this if you really set your mind to it. I mean, that the power of that is it's indescribable because, you know, I still think back to some conversations that I had with him in his classroom about coaching and, and leading uh, and the impact that you can make in doing that. So, um, you know, Robin Hinton, I'm forever grateful for, for the fire that he helped light within me. I think that's powerful. And and just as you're saying, you know, at that age to already spark that desire, spark that, that love. And, uh, you know, that, that statement of, you know, thank you for, for being here today reminded me a lot of, uh, you know, one of the things we're trying to do a lot around our program these days, and, and it's hard at times, but just trying to remind the guys how much we love them, you know, how much we care for them and, and want to see them become the best version of them versions of themselves. And I wanted to ask you, uh, you know, how, how does love play into your guys's program? Yeah. Well, you, you, Kirk, you just said it. Like, I know a lot of people have different ways of describing love and talking about love inside of their walls. And, um, you know, I had a player that met with me this fall and I remember him saying, how can you love somebody that you don't trust? And we were having a very vulnerable conversation. It had to do with his home life and, and, I said, that's a great question. And I, I asked this, is there a time in your life where your parents maybe haven't trusted you, but love you? And he said, well, absolutely. And so then basically we came full circle to this word that you mentioned, which is care. Um, in our program, we define it as respect. So our definition of respect is um, a reflection of your care level. So if you respect your teammates, then you have a high level of care for those teammates. Uh, if you have a high sense of respect for yourself, then you have a high care level for yourself. You're probably going to brush your teeth, shower, uh, go for a run, work out in the evening, you know, whatever the case might be, it's, it goes back to your, your care level. And so uh, for us, we define love as our care level for our student athletes. Like when I show you that I love you, I do that through my care level. Maybe it's giving you a fist bump. Maybe it's putting my arm around you. Maybe it's I, I realize that you're not where you need to be from a mental health standpoint. I take the time to reach out and bring you into the office and have a, a tough conversation with you. And so, um, you know, a lot of that kind of goes back to like Daniel Coyle, who's an author. He wrote the book, The Culture Code. It's an unbelievable read if you're looking for like some insight on high performing groups. But he talks a lot about vulnerability, trust and a sense of belonging. And so for us, you know, love is kind of the the um it's the it's the union of those three terms like we're trying to create a high level of trust and in doing that we, we have to be vulnerable with one another and then the third piece is we want to create a sense of belonging so if we can show our guys that we care about them through our not just our words but our actions especially then we, we seem to meet those three uh those three pieces of the high performance puzzle and, and ultimately, we, we create an environment uh, of a high-performing group, you know, by, again, creating a sense of trust and vulnerability and, and ultimately a sense of belonging. So I love the word care that you used, and I think that would be how we would define love inside of our program walls. Amazing. Thank you so much. I had a, my hand was going a little bit numb writing all of that that stuff down right there. But I mean, it's just some great stuff. Uh, I definitely encourage everybody to uh, take a read of the Culture Code. That's uh, going to have to you know add that to my list. I just uh, just got Atomic Habits finally. But you know, there there's just so many so much great literature, so much great knowledge, and I just feel like we have to embrace 
the people that have put in the work before us and and so much of what you've said and shared already is as much as it's from you and what you feel and learn it's from the people that you've put yourself around from the information that you've taken in that resonates with yourself so i just think that it is just we we become better when we allow the experiences of others into our life to dictate whether, you know, the direction that we go with that information, some we might resonate with some we don't, but I still think that it's uh, abundantly clear that there is a lot of people trying to pass along the information that helped them get better. And uh, who are, I know you shared some of your, your mentors and whatnot. And we even talked briefly about um, Angela Duckworth, what, what does grit mean to your program? Oh, yeah, that's another good one. And, and I loved your, your Monday motivation that you put out. Um, I think her book specifically and, and the term grit, like um, it, it is, it's kind of reshaped the way that we look at a lot of different pieces of our program, both internally, but then also I would say from like the recruiting side, you know, I think the, the formula, again, it's been a long time since I read it, but, but talent plus effort equals skill. And so you know, I know a lot of coaches, even myself as a young assistant, when I was first on the road, I was the guy that was marking guys off when they threw helmets and acted a fool and, and all sorts of things. You know, I mean, I was a, a D3 coach, like just had no idea what I was doing, just thrust out onto the road, baptism by fire. And but if you think about it, like at the end of the day, if you don't have talented players, you're not going to win. It's just not going to happen. You can maybe overachieve based on the level of talent that you have. but you know, player selection starts with, does this player add or subtract from the talent density inside of our program? And so you have to have a level of, of talent, but then the second piece being effort, like you, you have to create an intentional environment where uh, players can, can showcase that effort and they have to bring the intentionality in what they're doing in order to develop the skill. Um, like when we, when we say player development, you know, I, I, I'm sure somebody might try to call me out on Twitter when I say this, but like, I think player development is a misused term oftentimes. Like we have a lot of player assessment tools in our program, whether it's Rapsodo or Blast Motion. But to me, player development is about, it's, it, it's 50% the environment that the coach creates. And it's sometimes maybe more than 50% the effort or the intentionality the player brings to that environment. Uh, it's like if you got to lose 100 pounds and all you do is go for a 30-minute walk every day, you will lose some weight. And now if you add in the diet on top of it, you're going to lose that weight drastically. Well, it's the same thing in player development. All I can do as the coach is create the environment. Is it well thought out? Is it intentional? Does, does it have measurables that we can track and showcase growth or failure to grow? And then as the player, you're responsible for bringing the intensity for bringing the intentionality, the focus, um, the determination. You know, I know guys throwing plyo balls, there's a big difference between those pitchers that do it just because you're, you're programming it for them and the guys that are doing it because they feel like this is going to physically make them better. And so I think like when we talk about um, grit specifically, that's the, that's the, the effort part is the, the player's investment inside of that environment. So you got to select great players and recruit them. And then you've got to create an intentional environment where they can then bring the effort to ultimately get to that level of skill that we hope they achieve by the end of their career. 
I love it. I, I, I wish I still had eligibility to try to come and uh, <laughs> try and come and just uh, make you have to give me a chance for something. But, but coach, uh, I, I really wanted to ask, and, you know, sometimes I feel like this is a little bit of a heavy one, but what's your purpose? Yeah, that, that's a, that is a heavy question. Um, you know, much, much like yourself, I've got, I call it a side hustle for me. I know it's a, it's a big part of your life. And, um, you know, I started this, a company called Culture House uh, a number of years ago. And, and our tagline is simply empowering leaders, inspiring excellence. And so um, I think if you were to ask like what my person, my purpose is, um, it would be to do those two things. It's to empower others to, to be the best version of themselves, which is how, again, we define excellence. And it goes back to my father, you know, my dad, when he, he opened up Carpenter's Middle School in, in the year 2000, I believe. And so I was seven years old at the time. And we had this saying in our house where he would always tell us, like, we don't expect you to be perfect. I had myself and, and two younger siblings. We don't expect you to be perfect. We expect you to be excellent. And his thing was excellence is your best on a daily basis. And hopefully your best gets better and better and you ultimately reach excellence. And so uh, you know, I think now that I'm an adult and I'm leading a family and I'm leading a program, uh, I'm leading a staff, um, my mission, my purpose is to inspire people to be the best versions of themselves in everything that they do. And then ultimately to show them what it looks like and empower them to lead their own lives, whether that's their family one day or uh, a, a business, an organization. Um, I always say in recruiting, like, you can go get a piece of paper, a, a degree from anywhere. The difference when you come to Charleston, and I truly believe this, is that you're going to be equipped with life skills and character traits that are going to allow you to, to be a leader in whatever it is that you decide to do next in life. You know, it's one thing to get the job. It's another thing to have upward mobility, upward trajectory inside of that job. And how you do that, you better be organized. You better be able to communicate. There's a series of transferable skills that we spend a lot of time, maybe too much time, working to develop inside of our program, all because I believe that the true mission is that we create leaders, um, and we, we call it graduate leaders, create champions, and develop stewards. Those are the three pillars of our program, and it's all centered around when a student athlete leaves Charleston, what do we want them to look like? We want them to be a leader. We want them to hopefully be a champion of life. The Greek word for championship is, is defender of, like to defend something. So we want them to defend their values every day. And then a steward is somebody that serves with their time and talents. And so if you serve with a spirit of humility, you defend your values every day, and you lead the people that you're responsible for in your life, your family, your coworkers, whoever that might be, then you're going to lead a, a really fulfilled life and you're going to be a leader. Uh, and so I would say that's that's my life's mission. That's that's our life's purpose as a family is to empower leaders and inspire excellence, inspire people to be the best versions of themselves. Absolutely beautiful. I I just could not help but be blown away by the by the statement that your you know your father had made of we don't expect you to be perfect, we expect you to be excellent. You know that's that's powerful beyond measure because it's a it's a not welcoming, but it's a an acceptance that we're not always going to be perfect. We're going to fail, but 
failure does not mean that we didn't perform in an excellent manner because excellence, as you said, is defined by being your best and trying your best. Now, if you, and you're the only person that knows whether or not you gave your best effort in a situation. And if you, if you did not, then that's between yourself and, and, and your own future desires for what you claim that you're working towards. Uh, and uh, I could tell obviously in the short amount of time that you've been able to compound your efforts that you've had a excellent outpouring of of just results for yourself and i'm sure there was not perfection in that equation i'm sure there's plenty of failure plenty of ups and downs plenty of peaks and valleys and even i'm sure from the you know our brief discussion that from leaving middle tennessee state to going to uh to teach high school for yourself that wasn't necessarily plan a and and it didn't mean that you were right off the bat in understanding how you were going to handle that can you uh, explain a little bit how you made the transition into having a better understanding that you were in the right place at the right time and uh, and kind of got that mentality of becoming the head coach at the classroom yeah um yeah, you know, I think like, I'm very transparent about what, what happened at Middle Tennessee. And, you know, I, I had an opportunity um, after my third year to move into the interim head coach role for a period of time. And, you know, that was one of those where uh, was so, so unfortunate the way that, that everything, I guess, transpired. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it was a, a very, I was afforded a very unique opportunity to leave the program for a period of time. Um, and then ultimately made a, made a family decision. We were expecting our first child, uh, our daughter, Ellie, who's now three. And, you know, I needed health insurance, which my, my job at middle didn't have. And I know a lot of college coaches can commiserate with, um, you know, tough financial situations that they're in. And so, I made a decision basically to, to get out and to do what was in the best interest of our family or what I felt was like was in the best interest of our family. Um, and I was not, you know, I'll be the first to tell you, uh, teaching was always my plan B, like teaching in the traditional high school classroom. I always felt like I'm going to see what this college thing's like, and then I'll eventually make my way into the high school classroom. Um, and, and I wasn't necessarily keen on it for the first couple of weeks. Um, I tell a story about my wife kind of kicking me in the butt one day when I came home and she's like, you know, Hey, those kids are, you know, she basically was like, what are you doing? Like you're either going to waste this opportunity here at Rossview or you know, you're going to get your crap together and, and you're going to start doing what you were made to do. And so um, I think she probably said it a little bit more eloquently than that, but um, that was sort of the kick in, in the butt that I needed to say, like, it doesn't matter if my classroom is a field or walls. Um, if I have a fungo bat or a whiteboard and a, and a marker, like my mission is still the same. And so I would say that's the, that's been the core of it was, was that conversation. And I would also say a lot of time uh, in reflection and, and some prayer for, for me personally, I'll just, anybody that's on the call, like um, if you're not spending time on yourself, whether that's going for a, a walk, I know John Gordon, who's an author always talks about gratitude walks or, you know, for me, that's my, that's my morning cup of coffee, like every morning, 5am, you know, I've got a devotional that I do and a cup of coffee. And that's my time to kind of get centered and get my thoughts in order. And so 
a lot of that came from those early days at Rossview where I was really trying to find myself and very fortunate to, again, have that year because it, it created um, a much better version of Robbie Britt and um, a much more mature version of myself. So, you know, I'm, again, I'm forever grateful to Dr. Shanda Dowdy, who her son Connor is an at unbelievable baseball player at Trevecca, which is a D2 powerhouse in Nashville. And, um, you know, Shanda was just a, a really good mentor, a mentor that I needed in my life, strong-willed woman that, again, had a great experience in the, in the classroom. And, uh, you know, she kind of helped guide me through that first year, uh, which I desperately needed <laughs> being a first-year classroom teacher. So, um, yeah, I'd say that's, that's kind of how I got to, to that point where I was ready to lead a program uh, like Charleston. It, it was really that year at Rossview that helped uh, that transformation. That's awesome, Coach, and and uh, I'm not going to make you have to go too deep into it, but you had mentioned a little bit that that means a lot to myself as well, too, and, you know, the ups and downs of the coaching world and what we do and don't get at some different levels, how, how compensated, health insurance, different, different things of this nature, you know, I do feel like having an abundance of faith as a coach is almost something that needs to be in the pocket because there is just, you know, we're not necessarily jumping into a career path with a ton of job security for what it's worth. So, you know, how, how has faith, uh, you know, played a role in, in helping you, you know, stay the course and even just be in the right place at the right time. And, uh, you know, I just wanted to know a little bit more about how, how that might have have played some positivity in in your life? Yeah, I mean, I you know I was raised Presbyterian. Uh, both my 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 parents. I mean, church was always a huge part of of our lives. And uh, you know, I think there was a period of time. Uh, I think when you talk about a relationship with with Christ, and I don't mean to go too far down this path, but like um, I think when you talk about a relationship with Christ, it's just that it's a relationship. There's good days and there's bad days and there's days where we fail and days where we're thinking like, Hey, I'm definitely going to heaven. <laughs> and so, um, you know, I think for me, a lot of that, uh, development came when I was at middle Tennessee. And once I, once I got out of college and I was out on my own for the first time, you know, I know I was sharing this with you this morning, but, um, I had a studio apartment. I mean, this thing was gritty. It was, I could, I could stand up from my bed, take two steps, and I could cook eggs at the stove that I had right there in the room. I had a Yeti cooler that my parents had gotten me for, I think, my 21st or 22nd birthday. That was my TV stand. Um, I did laundry at the FCA house, and then I could walk across a two-lane road, and I could walk to our office. I mean, it was right behind the baseball stadium, and um, it was it was nasty. And there were a lot of days eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches out of the fridge. Cause that's all that I could afford on a, on a volunteer salary. And, um, you know, I think that that's one of those, it, it, you have a lot of time to yourself and you have a lot of time to reflect and to, um, you know, in, in my case, pray and reflect on the kind of person that you want to be. And there were a lot of days where I'm sitting here thinking, you know, will I ever have a family one day? what am I doing? Why do I continue to, to pursue this profession? Um, but I'll, I'll give you an, an example. So when I got to Charleston, we were expecting our second child camp. 
uh, Courtney and the kids could not come to Charleston right away. We had to sell or we, we were having to buy a house in town and I was sitting in the office one night and I got this letter from, uh, Clint Helton, who's now the head coach at Maribel college. He was in my wedding. We worked together on the staff with Cody church. And it was an email that he had written me when I got the job at middle Tennessee. And basically it said, you know, thanks for all you've done you go to middle and you crush it and you eat as many bologna sandwiches and you just piece it together as much as you could. And here I am, I just got a head coaching job like a week earlier and I'm just sitting here in tears because of the overwhelming thoughts that were going through my head. And I remembered those nights at middle Tennessee where I was eating peanut butter and jelly sandwich on this bed that I bought on Amazon for 300 bucks, you know, watching reruns of the office trying to get ready for scouting reports the next day. And, you know, it's just, that's a God thing. Like when you talk about um, people being put in your life and you being put in certain places, it's just amazing to look back on the the journey to get to a place like Charleston and the journey to being married and having two beautiful kids. And um, that is, that is all a God thing. And so, you know, uh, faith's a huge component of, of my life. And it's one of those things where we really don't try to push it very hard with our players. We want to be respectful of, you know, their, their lives and the lives that they've led, but we always want to make it available to them uh, inside of our program too. So um, yeah, it's, it's definitely an important part of my life personally. Well, I appreciate you sharing that coach and, and uh, you know, some of the things that I've heard you say as well too, and, and why I know it's so powerful and, to, to hear you say that is it's a part of the, the vulnerability aspect of, you know, sharing a little bit of a piece of us, but just as you said, and as I try my best to share with my players as well, too, just because I feel something doesn't mean that it's something I want to be shoved down your throat, but it, I want you to know that it's available if, if you need it. And regardless of what you care about or believe in you, there needs to probably be some basis of something that you have faith in. Uh, and, and even if that's in your own abilities or whatnot, I think that there is definitely a strong component to, uh, to just having something to, to rely on when, when times get tough, because we're in a sport that can beat you up very, very badly and uh, send you down into the dumps. And I think that having some, some baseline of perspective and resonance is, is something that can help reset the system sometimes and give you that bigger picture. But uh, coach, I wanted to ask you, uh, what are some specific things that your program does to help build the culture and character of your players? Yeah, um, that, that's a great question. You know, I, I, I'm a huge fan of the idea of having a baseball classroom. So there's a place on campus. I, I know Coach Sanders is on here, uh, so he would recognize this place too. But, but Clay 101 is a, a bigger lecture hall on campus. And so in the fall, you know, we gather there every day of the week pretty much. And then once we get into the spring, it's more like once to three times a week. But uh, it's a place for us to um, talk about whether it's current issues or more curriculum-based issues, like uh, we'll, we'll, we'll do a hero hardship highlight where we'll have guys write down who's a hero, what's a hardship that you faced in your life, and what's a highlight of your life or what we call a defining moment, and then have them share. And that kind of creates that vulnerability. Um, and we develop what we call a shared purpose. So this year, you know, our shared purpose is command respect. And so um, we talk about if you demand respect from somebody, that's you telling them, 
if you command somebody to do something, that's based on your actions. That's them wanting to follow you, wanting to respect you because of some actions. And so uh, for us, we have a very inexperienced team this year, and we've played a very, uh, very challenging schedule up to this point. And so for us, it's, it's been about kind of going back to the process of how can you, how can you, when you leave the field, have the other team say, dang, that team right there is tough. That team is, is competitive. Um, that team is, as you would say, they, they, they display grit. Um, they're well-organized or well-coached would be the more cliche term. Uh, and so that's all about commanding respect. And that's our shared purpose for the year. So uh, we do a book. We've done a book read in the past. We read The Coffee Bean last year by John Gordon. That's one thing that I do with my staff specifically. We have a large staff. So there's 10 of us um, and we're all very young. So one, one thing that we do, I call it the coach's library. If you're a coach with me for three years, I want you to have six books by the time you walk out that door. So two per year, one per semester that we do a book study on. Um, and then I would say the, the last piece, and this is not like a, an intentional takeaway, but it's, it's holding people accountable to our standard. And that is, if, if anybody was like, hey, what's one secret? What's the secret sauce, the secret pill? I would say you got to set a high standard and you have to hold people accountable to that standard consistently. And that's where, uh, and I know you've done some, some coaching as well, but when I go to work with teams and I do some consulting work with whether it's a high school program or a business, that's where they fall short almost 80% of the time. It's not the standard that's been created. It's not the vision that they have for the program, but it's the ability to consistently hold people accountable to that standard. And in doing that, when you don't hold people accountable, then you subconsciously and really unknowingly, you undermine the very standard that you're striving to create. And so that would be like, when we talk about building a, the culture, building the character of our players, it's, it's setting a high standard and, and being very clear about our expectations. But then the secret sauce is holding people accountable to that standard on a daily basis. If we say to be in class, you have to be in class. Um, it's, and it's not always us doing it, but it's gotten to the point now where it's also getting players to take ownership of that accountability and to call other players out. And so, you know, we had that earlier this year where, the guys, there were a couple of our seniors that called me and they said, hey, so-and-so is not going to be at practice today. And we call it training, but, but practice. They said, he's not going to be at training today. And I was like, oh my, okay, well, you know, what's going on? Can you help fill me in? And they said, well, he missed weights this morning. And so we sent him home. In our program, we call it a TAT, try again tomorrow. And so there's no conditioning. There's not anything other than you don't get to be a part of what we're doing today. And you're going to potentially lose your spot. You're going to maybe... Uh, fall behind you're going to miss out on some of the content that we're teaching that day and um, you know so guys try to avoid the try again tomorrow um, but when your players start handing those out in the right way that's when you know your environment is moving in the right direction and so um, the ability to hold people accountable consistently is is what I would say is the number one thing we do to help try to build the the culture and the character of our players I think that's magical right there. It kind of goes right hand in hand where we start talking about our organizations and our teams wanting to be um, player led instead of coach fed. And it, it, when you can get the 
people within the ship to recognize that they're not meeting the standards, not of you, but of what of the group has set of the standard of excellence. That that's awesome. And to be able to have to call you and say, Hey coach, uh, they're, they're not coming to practice. They, they didn't adhere to our standard of excellence. So they're going to get a taste of what it's like to, to miss it. And, and coach, I don't, I don't know why, but I, I do not think that kids understand the concept of no, of no call, no show, you know, and just how much they would be fired in real life for, for doing that sort of thing. And it's our job right here as stewards of, of life for these young men to, to help them understand that. And, and I think within your program of doing some actions like that, I think that points them towards that right direction. You know, it, was that something that, uh, that you encouraged them to do, or was that something that kind of comes along, uh, in, on their own merit? You, you, you said it with the no call, no show. Um, I always tell everybody in our first baseball classroom every year we don't have a lot of rules like that I know you know I remember getting the rules packet when I was a player and it was like 25 pages long and nobody read it they just signed the back and turned it in and we don't have that ours is one page and and I'm sure we'll get into that later but um, I always tell the guys like if something happens to you on campus if you get written up or you know if you're in trouble or if you are late to something then I find out right then like not not two two hours later not 12 hours later but right then and every year there's been one or a multitude of freshmen that for whatever reason they don't get that memo and so they're kind of the example in the fall um but i mean mistakes happen right like we're all guilty of of having mistakes we talked about not being perfect earlier but the ability to communicate your mistakes is is a separator i think for especially people in in our generation now uh, when you get into the the workforce and when you get into living life like if you make a mistake at home then you better be able to own up to that because um, otherwise you're just going to continue to sort of chip away at the pillars of of your uh, culture at home or your culture at work whatever that might be the relationships that you have so you know there's times where i'll wake up and i'll have three text messages from, from guys at 1am. And of course, you know, I'm not happy about whatever the event was that took place, but normally, you know, from my standpoint, I can work through that with you. If I don't know about it, then that's when it becomes a really big issue. And again, just like you said, no call, no show, right? Like that's, it, it is, it's teaching guys to be held accountable for their, to be accountable for their own actions and say, I messed up. You know, I'm going to do better next time. These are the steps that I'm going to take to make sure that I do better next time, uh, whether that's setting an additional alarm, putting your phone on the other side of the room, whatever the case might be. It's, it's you know, can you make a mistake, admit to the mistake, commit to learning from the mistake, and then let's move forward together after you get your TAT like, like nothing happened with a, with a, with a clean slate. And so uh, that's been a really powerful thing for our organization. And uh, the guys within it, I think it gives them the feeling like I can make a mistake and it's going to be okay. Not that we're trying to do that, but you know, if a mistake happens, like you know, coach ain't going to burn my ship down. He's going to try to build me up and, and, and try to make something um, valuable out of that experience. So that's kind of the approach that we take with it. And um, you know, I think that that's been a big part of, 
of uh, getting our guys to communicate more frequently with, with each other and our coaching staff when issues come up. I, I think that's awesome coach. And just what you're helping them learn through the life lessons of their experiences of the good and, and the bad it, it's, it's powerful. And, and I wanted to ask, uh, one of the things that I know is a, a strong um, foundation of your program. You know, why is serving the community so important to you? Oh my. Um, well, I, I think that at Charleston, so when we came up on the interview, you know, of course you're going around and you're asking people what they love about working at UC. And uh, the word that kept coming up was community. And if you look at, there's, there's an I, I call it the I-64 corridor. It goes from hurricane, uh, really probably Huntington all the way through Charleston. So you've got like Hurricane, Taze Valley, Scott Depot. There's all these high schools and there's all these different little communities all the way through there. There's St. Albans. I mentioned Hurricane. You've got South Charleston, Charleston, and they're all these little communities. And the people are just incredibly special and they make you feel at home. It reminds me of living in East Tennessee or you know, my wife's from Clarksville, which is northwest of Nashville, Tennessee. Like it reminds you of being in those southeastern communities. And um, that was a huge draw for us. And so my thought is from a, a morality standpoint, it's always important to serve the needs of your community. And we are 48 to 50 able-bodied men. You, if you include our staff, there's eight men and two women that are, that are able-bodied and and we want to help people. Uh, that's, that's just a part of, um, I think, what we were sort of born and created to do. And then there's also a performance element to it. I think if you serve the needs of other people, uh, there's, I'll, I'll tell a quick story. So there was a, a mentor in my life that said that we all have a flame of selflessness. And I kind of looked at him like, what the heck are you talking about? Flame of selflessness. And he said, if you serve other people and if you're selfless in nature, it's like pouring oxygen on that candle or on that flame. The flame will grow, will burn brighter. If you don't serve other people and you're selfish, then it's like putting a lid on top of a candle. The, 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 the flame gets extinguished. And if you come into my office at UC, like I have a candle on my desk and the, the purpose is it's that visual and it's that reminder that number one, as the CEO of the program, I set the vision every day. Sometimes it's dark, like during COVID, like March 12th, uh, 2020 was a really dark day, but it's my job to light the candle and lead the way. And the second piece is, is that I better have a flame of selflessness, a spirit of humility or a spirit of servitude um, within me, because that is going to transfer to our players and to our staff and to our entire organization and ultimately our university. So the an example of when that's paid off and been paid back to us tenfold was uh, we do a lot with Ronald McDonald House, United Way, Canal County Schools. There's a number of organizations that we consistently serve throughout the year. When we hosted the Atlantic Regional last year, we, we put in our bid and you have to put in a budget to the NCAA of how many tickets or how much money you think you'll get at the gate. And I can't remember what we put, but we ended up making over double that in the actual regional gate that we sold. And it wasn't family, it wasn't friends. We've always traveled well. If you come to a Charleston baseball game, like our fans do a great job of turning out. We're very fortunate in all of our sports 
um, but specifically baseball, like we travel well, we have a, a nice community around us. Um, but the regional was more than that. It was people coming from the community because they have had some kind of connection, a run-in with one of our student athletes. Uh, we went and served their, their, their church or United Way. Maybe we, they drove through the food bank that we helped serve meals at, and they decided to come support us in the biggest moment in our, or one of the biggest moments in our program's history, the first time in school history that we've hosted a regional um, at UC. And that was the ultimate vision when they built that facility was that in 2019, they built the Welch Athletic Complex. The goal was to one day host an Atlantic baseball regional. And so for us to do that in 21 and to have the community, the overwhelming support from the community and people just show up uh, from all different hollers and hills in West Virginia uh, to see us play a, a game, a game of baseball was uh, very humbling. But you know, that, that's really why we serve the community is to develop that, that flame of selflessness within each of our players so that when they do become a husband, when they come become a father, an employee, uh, that flame burns really bright inside of them and it continues to spread. That's, that's some, some power right there. And, you know, your quote reminded me a lot of my favorite Zig Ziglar quote, which is, you know, you can have everything in life you want if you'll just help enough other people get what they want. And I, I just think that there is a lot of power in, in serving and, uh, and then especially with bringing the community and I, and I think it helps build the whole person as, as well. Can you speak to why it's so important to develop the whole person through the process of being a student athlete? Yeah, I, I think at our level specifically, again, I, being a division three player, this probably helped with that mentality because I, I wasn't a very good baseball player. Um, I would, I would say even like when I was at Middle Tennessee at, the, at a mid-major Division I school, you know, our chances of going to Omaha were, were very slim. You know, we needed to win the Conference USA tournament or finish really well in, in league play. And then, you know, obviously you got the whole regional, super regional setup. Uh, the, the, the opportunity to win a national championship is much greater at a Charleston where, you know, we've been uh, in the last three years a combined uh, – two games away from the college world series twice. So uh, it really has to do with the, the purpose of your organization. Like, why are you playing college baseball? And we're not a power five school. You know, we don't operate in the black, like an LSU or, or even probably a Tennessee where, you know, you're bringing in enough revenue to pay for the sport and to give back to the athletic department. So there has to be a greater purpose other than baseball. Um, there was a young man that I worked with at Middle Tennessee. He was a part of an organization called Team Impact, and they place kids with life-threatening illnesses with college athletic teams. And um, Luke was this young man's name. He was nine years old, and he was absolutely brilliant. And he could write computer code. Uh, he was just a big-time reader, very cerebral, didn't give a daggone, uh, didn't give a care about baseball whatsoever. But he was our teammate. And so for three years, I got to know Luke. And um, my last year at Middle Tennessee, it was Christmas break. And I remember Mags, our head coach, calling me and saying, hey, you know, I just want you to know, like, Luke's not, not going to make it. And he passed away in that third year. And it changed my, again, entire perspective on what we were doing. Um, because, <laughs> like, again, it's not really about baseball. Baseball is the byproduct. 
at Charleston, we don't do anything crazy. Like we're very simple. Um, you know, if you come watch us play, you're going to be like, well, they don't do anything really that special. We're not running a bunch of trick plays. Um, winning is a byproduct. It's a byproduct of what we do in the classroom, what we do in the community and the type of environment that we create for our student athletes to operate inside of. So, you know, it, it has to be about something greater or we're going to look back, whether it's as student athletes or for us as coaches, we're going to look back and say, my God, we, we, we failed. Them. We, we sold, we sold the opportunity to make an impact short. I think that's that's powerful again, Coach. Uh, uh, really, really powerful. And how you're able to make that bigger difference on the person is going to be so important to these young men. Because if we if we don't take the life lessons that we're learning right here in our sport and apply them back to those other fundamental areas of our life, then I think we're kind of missing the the picture of why we're we're growing through all these challenges right now. So uh, I know we're getting close to uh, to the end uh, for ourselves, but if you had enough time for a couple more questions, I really wanted to ask a, a couple of questions really pertaining to your your team. Sure, absolutely. Um, yeah, I know you talked about a few of them beforehand, but again, uh, if uh, sorry to make you repeat yourself in in some sense, but you know what what are the pillars of your team? Yeah. Um... So we, we call them program pillars. There's three of them and it's, it's graduate leaders, create champions and, and develop stewards. And so, you know, again, for us, like uh, you can go anywhere and get a sheet of paper that says, Hey, I graduated from such and such college, but to be able to have skills beneath that paper uh, built and embedded inside of you um, as a person that that is ultimately going to give you staying power in whatever business you get into uh, it's going to give you upward mobility and the ability to develop the people around you. Um, if, if you're a good communicator, if you're organized, uh, if, you're, uh, if you've got some grit or some toughness about you that you've developed in your time at Charleston, that's going to help you when you get into tough family situations with your wife or your kids. And you're having to deal with, with those emotions. Um, you know, I think that's the approach that we take, but that's kind of the core. And then and we've got our championship behaviors, which are the six basically rules of our program or standards of our program. And uh, together, those kind of create the culture, if you will, or the environment that, that we attempt to create for our student athletes every day. But do you, uh, not that you have to know them all offhand, but do you happen to, would you be willing to share what those championship behaviors of your organization are? Sure. Yeah. I, this is one of those. So our basketball coach, Dwayne Osborne, like he's an incredible mentor in my life and somebody that I've grown very close with. And I remember my first year, he challenged me on these. He said, you know, if I were to go ask your baseball players, the championship behaviors, how many would they be able to repeat? And I started like getting nervous and I could feel my body temp kind of rising. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Well, so if you were to go up and ask a Charleston baseball player, what are the championship behaviors? They ought to be able to tell you all six. And so uh, preparedness, respect, engagement, discipline, selflessness, and excellence. And we have a little tagline that goes along with each one. For instance, preparedness is not being ready for everything, but being ready for anything. So uh, in our sport, like the ball bounce is weird. The wind changes you can't prepare for everything that you're going to see. Like if, 
if we're wasting our time preparing for every little trick play, every little bunt D, well, then we're probably missing opportunities to field ground balls and fly balls, which are the vast majority of the balls that we're going to see in play. And so it's not about being prepared for everything, but it's being prepared with a set of fundamental skills that allow you to be successful in whatever environment. Um, one of my, my former recruiting coordinator, who I, I just saw he popped on the call, Ian McDonald, he used to talk about the weather. He would say, there's no such thing as cold. There's only unprepared. And so it's like, if, if the weather's cold, like bring an extra jacket. And, uh, you know, if anybody that knows our program, we're outside every single day in the preseason. If there's snow on the field, we shovel it and we base run and we take ground balls and fly balls. Like, it doesn't matter. We're going to do something outside because it's God's stadium. He controls the weather. It's our weather. We embrace it and we, we compete in whatever weather that's, that's out there. But that goes back to our championship behaviors, like preparedness. When you show up to class, you're going to sit in the power tee of learning. You're going to make sure that your AirPods come out of your ears, your Beats by Dre come off your head. You've got a pen. You've got a paper. You have quality work ready to turn in if it's due on that date. And by being prepared for anything, that's going to allow you to be a champion inside of that environment, whether that's baseball or the classroom. I think that you're, you've just dropped so much powerful little nuggets of, of wisdom and perspective and just opportunity of what we get as coaches to help instill onto the young men and, and women that might be in our care and I just hope that the the people within your within your care realize just what they have with you as the as their leader. And uh, and the last question I wanted to ask you before we get uh, towards wrapping everything up was, um, you know, just just explain the impact that your coaching staff has on on you as a whole and on your players. Well, I, I was gonna I was gonna start name dropping if if we didn't get this question because. Just, just what you said about our players, you know, being thankful for the environment that they're in. Like, I'll be the first to tell you that has very little to do with me. I think you know, my role is to be the facilitator. But if you were to dig beneath the surface and and walk into our office, um, again, I think like Coach Sanders, who's on the call, and, and some other people in our athletic department, like when you walk through the athletic offices, you know, you just see baseball staff member after baseball staff member. And the unique part about it is uh, we're all young. Like it's a division two program. So we only have one full-time assistant and everybody else is either part-time stipend, uh, a grad assistant, or even an undergraduate assistant. And so the environment is so unique, but um, whether it's, you know, Ian McDonald, uh, Michael Blatchford, Beth Warner, um, you know, Anthony Zona, uh, Taylor McMacken. I mean, the list goes on and on. I know I'm missing people for sure. Um, but all these people that have either been at Charleston or that are currently at Charleston, like they're the ones that are actually applying it on a daily basis. And my job is to, uh, is to develop them, is to help them achieve the goals that they have for themselves. So whether it's a resume writing workshop that we do with our staff, uh, whether it's you know, trying to make sure that everybody is signed up for ABCA and can go to the convention if they want to, um, whether it's basically kicking them out of the nest sometimes, even if they want to come out and saying, hey, like, you know, you've been here for two years, it's time for you to go get a full-time job. Um, you know, that, that's what our program is designed to do. And all I ask of our staff when they get here, whether they're a freshman in college and they're our analytics person or somebody like 
you know, Anthony Zona, who's been with me for all three years and he was on the previous staff as well, is just make it your masterpiece while you're here. Show up every day, be engaged with what's going on, work hard, not, not that you know everything, but work hard to learn what you need to learn for our student athletes and just strive to make them the best that they can be during their time at, at UC. And so our staff just does a tremendous job of that. You know, I look at like this year, everybody's new except for Anthony and Pablo, who's our offensive coordinator, Pablo Cabrera. And so everybody else is brand new. Well, that's, 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 that's tough um, when you're bringing in a brand new staff, but it also means that the four people that we lost are all out making full-time salary and benefits in college athletics. Uh, Beth is the only full-time female assistant coach at any NCAA level that we know of. Um, and so, you know, I'm very proud of, of those men and women that move on and, and, uh, and thankful for the uh, time that they share with us at, at uh, Charleston. I mean, I'm just, we have been really blessed in my three years to have some outstanding staff members and our student athletes have been blessed, not, not because they're with me every day. I can guarantee you that, but it's because of the, the other staff that they're around. They just create an incredible environment. It's different. It works for us. I'm not saying that it works for everybody, um, but it definitely works for us. And I'm eternally grateful for the people that I have a chance to work with every day, because again, that's what makes Charleston such a special place. Well, what I think is just so beautiful about that coach is there's a lot of times that as, as employees, we feel like we, we tend to feel like the people that we're around don't necessarily want to see us move forward, but it just sounds beautiful that you're encouraging people to, to move forward and not necessarily holding them back from the best of what they can continue to be. And yet you're, you're more using this opportunity as a perfect preparation of, of getting them ready for life. So just as much as the players that you're preparing them for, you have an opportunity to prepare the coaches as well too, and can continue to build these lifelong relationships so that they pay it forward so that they build up the next leaders that are within them. Because one of the things that I, I'm trying my best to, to truly believe and take to heart and actually put into action is it means nothing to rise to the top if you don't bring everybody else with you. And, and it really feels like that's what a lot of the culture is over there for, for the university of Charleston, West Virginia is, is, is bringing others along for the ride and, and, and not only just serving yourself, but serving others and, and building everyone up. So I just, I think that's awesome what you guys are doing right now. Yeah, I appreciate that. And, you know, there were, I remember as a young assistant, like Tim Donnelly, uh, Caleb Longshore, uh, Scott Hall, JP Davis, Chase Sane, like the people that I worked around at middle. And, you know, I mentioned Clint Helton earlier, uh, Parker Holman at Rossview, like those people that treated me so well and encouraged me to move forward and move on. You know, that's, that's how I got to that place personally, where and now I look at it and I say, uh, you know, Pablo is going to graduate here in May. He's ready. Like he could go and be a full-time assistant or a professional development coach. Like he's ready. And uh, when it clicks like that to watch him grow from when he first got here, he was, he was actually in high school baseball in Florida and just took a win and decided to move to West Virginia to watch him develop from his first day in August to now where he'll, he'll rebut me in a staff meeting. He'll say, well, I don't know about that. You know, Robbie, like, what do you think about X, Y, and Z? Like that is 
I mean, I get sort of chills thinking about it because that's really what it's about, whether it's our players or our staff members, like you want to see those guys continue to grow and then ultimately, you know, make this a career for themselves if that's what they choose to do. Right. That's beautiful. I wanted to, uh, yeah, as we get towards the end here and wrapping everything up, I wanted to make my actionable request and I want you to take some time today, tomorrow, but just take some time intentionally very soon and write down how you can serve. Think about it and, and put it to paper, all the different ways that you're capable of serving others. This is going to you because a cathartic experience for you and it'll help you see the bigger picture of what giving your time can do for others and as we give to others we actually grow ourselves so as i get towards wrapping up here coach i just wanted to give you one more opportunity to say anything that you felt like we didn't get a chance to to uh to speak about and uh, share anything else that you have left to say yeah just thanks for the opportunity um you know i'm always excited about the, the chance to promote our program and uh, there's so many great universities and, and college programs out there um you know i'm not saying that, that we do everything right like there's definitely things that if you come and watch you'd be like well oof, they could probably do that better and you'd probably be right but but i think what we do works for us and it, it, it is about the people inside of our walls um and the the fingerprints that they leave on the lives of our student athletes and um, we're just so fortunate to to be able to provide that kind of a program for for young men uh, and young women that are uh, growing up inside of our game and, and uh, you know, sometimes trying to make a life or a career out of it. So um, if, if I can ever do anything or if our university, our baseball program can ever do anything, I hope that you'll reach out on Twitter or um, I'll send you my email or whatever the case might be. But, um, you know, I do some on the side executive coaching with teams and stuff. So if that's ever something of interest, you know, please again, reach out. And I've got a number of clients right now and I'm really passionate about that space as I knew you are too, Kirk. So, um, you know, I've got a couple coaches in my life and, and they're very important people to me and help me kind of think through and flesh out some ideas. So, um, you know, if I can ever be of service uh, in any way, I hope that you'll reach out and uh, let us know how we can help it at the University of Charleston. I definitely will coach. And again, thank you for your time today. And then close us with a little bit of a quote from uh, John Ruskin. It's the highest reward for a person's toil is not what they get for it, but what they become by it. So I appreciate everybody's time today. I 100% I am so grateful that anybody would spend a half a minute in this conversation and just hear any words of, of life that uh, Coach Britt might be able to share. And uh, hopefully there was something that you took away from this conversation to make you announce better as a person. And maybe even if it doesn't resonate today, maybe a week, a month, two years, five years from now, some information that you heard today uh, makes a difference in your life. And if it affects one person in a positive manner, then this entire conversation was worth it. So again, I appreciate everybody's time and uh, I hope you guys all have a great week and looking forward to chatting next week.